0: Dear congregation, we've been hearing a great deal in recent weeks and months about our tragic fall in Adam, and about our wretched state of sin, and we hope to hear more about that in coming weeks as we will begin the Heidelberg Catechism again, God willing, a few months from now. But in the midst of all this tragedy and all this wretchedness, we saw last week a glorious promise, the mother's promise, the proto-evangelium, the promise that paved the way for all the other promises. And it is remarkable that in this very black chapter, there is a glorious witness as to how to live out of that promise. And that is a great struggle for For many of God's people, too, they they know the promises are precious. But how do you live out of them? How do you work with the promises of God? How do you exercise faith on those promises? Well, our very first parents show us the way. With God's help, we want to look at that this morning. You can find our text in Genesis 3, verse 20 and 21. And 4 verse 1, 20 and 21, Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. And 4 1, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Can, especially these words, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. So our theme this morning is witness in paradise to the promise, the Advent promise. And three thoughts. First, we will see Adam embracing and confessing the promise by calling his wife's name Eve. Second, we will see Eve receiving and celebrating the promise in childbirth. And third, we see God confirming and enlarging the promise with a sign of sacrifice. So briefly then, witness to the promise. Adam embracing and confessing it. Eve receiving and celebrating it and God confirming and enlarging it. Our text words begin this morning with a remarkable confession of faith. Adam called his wife's name Eve. Now why is that such a remarkable statement? Well, you have to look at the verse before. Look at verse 19. The sweat of thy face, thou shalt eat bread, till thou shalt return to the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. God speaks to Adam about death, and that he will die. He announces Adam's death sentence. And Adam turns right around and calls his wife's name Ahawaah, in Hebrew, which means life, Eve, which means life or living. Oh, that's amazing, isn't it? Adam's future appears gloomy. He's broken God's covenant. He's scorned his fellowship. He's injured his attributes. He's renounced himself as his creator's image bearer. He's chosen physical and spiritual and eternal death over life. He's destined for the grave. And he says, my wife's name shall be Eve, life, in the midst of death. How can Adam do that? Is he trying to cover over what God is saying? Is he trying to sweep death under the rug? Is he, is he trying to avoid reality? No, not at all. Adam hears the death sentence very clearly, but he also hears God's life sentence. In verse 15, that we saw last week, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It, remember, the seed shall bruise fatally your head, serpent, Satan, and thou, you, Satan, shall bruise the heel of the seed. So the result of the first gospel sermon which is preached by God the Father to Adam and Eve in paradise, is that Adam believes and confesses and embraces the promise of God. And he declares that henceforth, he will believe that the prince of life is more powerful than the prince of death. God's righteousness in the coming Messiah will exceed Adam's sinfulness. And so Adam turns, believing in God, and he makes the first Christ-centered confession of faith this earth has ever heard. He says, your name shall be Eve. He finds life in the promise of God. Dear friends, have you ever found life in the promise? This promise, which is the, verse 15, which is the fountainhead of all the promises of all ages. The seed of the woman. Have you found life in the Advent Savior? Life in the born babe of Bethlehem? Has the promise become as real to you as the pews you're sitting on this morning Is it your life? Is it your hope? Is it your strength? Is it your all and in all? Does your salvation rest on the promise of God? Well, this is actually the second name that Adam has given to Eve, isn't it? When he received her out of God's hand, you remember, boys and girls, he said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Woman, woe man, because she was taken out of man. The W-O, in the Hebrew that is, refers to taken out of. She's part of him. You remember how beautiful we saw that to be. The two were one flesh. This was Adam's wedding song. She is woman. Joyfully, he had embraced Eve as his God-given helpmeet. But now sin had come. Sin had spoiled this perfect marriage of our first parents, the only perfect marriage that ever existed on earth. And sin threatened to make havoc of that marriage. Sin threatened to lead that marriage to divorce, to destruction. They had both eaten of the forbidden fruit. And they both began to blame each other. Adam is no longer intimate with his wife. He doesn't feel close to her. They're no longer best friends. But with contempt, he points at her and he says to his creator, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Now, just as this marriage fell into splinters, God comes to intervene and rescues it from disaster. He brings the promise of the seed that was to come. And through that promise, Adam and Eve find each other again and find real blessedness and fellowship. Adam regains intimacy and friendship with his wife. He can accept her shortcomings because he sees his own. And he gives her a new name. A name that shows his hope. The hope he sees in her Through the veil of the promise. So the first name is a wedding song. Woman. The second name, Eve, is a song of faith. Adam sings of life in the midst of death. He hears the promise. He ponders the promise. And then he embraces and confesses it. The friends we have before us this morning, one of the simplest, most childlike, yet meaningful confessions of faith, ever proceeding from the lips of a sinner. As Abraham was to express his faith by calling his son Isaac, child of gladness, so Adam here calls his wife Eve. You see, he looks at her and he says, I see life. Pulsating through you. I see in you the divine promise to be realized. Life will proceed from your womb. God will carry out His purpose in your seed. The seed shall come. The Deliverer. The Savior. I see in you a pledge of divine forgiveness. A pledge of of divine love. And I proclaim... My faith in all this before God and before posterity by naming you Eve. It's it's so, it's so simple and yet it's so intense, isn't it? It's so strong and, and firm. There's no, there's no doubt. There's no wavering. Adam doesn't come with ifs and buts and hows. He calls her name Eve. He believes The promise. He doesn't ask God for a sign. He trusts God's word completely without a moment's hesitation. And he could have hesitated. In fact, he could have had great difficulty believing, don't you think? After all, he had sinned against his maker. A great gulf existed between God and himself. He could have said, I have plunged all of mankind Into destruction. Surely there cannot be mercy for such a great sinner as I am. I don't dare believe thy promise, Lord. He could have said that. He bore enormous guilt. He had let, he had let in the flood of evil upon the earth. He had opened the gates of death for all creation. He had forfeited every right to grace. He had stained the very ground on which he walked with the curse. The whole earth was cursed for Adam's sake. And yet Adam believes. If there was ever a man who had a reason for not trusting God's word because of his own unworthiness, his own unfitness, it was Adam. But he believes. God said it. I will put enmity between thee and the woman. He believed God. He took God at His own word. When God said to him, as it were, through that promise, the woman from whom you are now torn asunder by sin shall be a real asset to you, because through her loins shall come the promised seed which shall give life in the midst of death, Adam believes this and he looks back at Eve as a partaker with him through faith of this great seed to come, that they are together conquerors in him. He believes this truth and embraces the gospel. And what an encouragement this is today for sinners like you and me. God gives spirit-worked grace to Adam And his faith is counted to him for righteousness. And he does the same thing for poor sinners still today. There is no sinner whose sins have such consequences as Adam's did sitting here this morning. You may say, but I am unworthy, I am unfit and go on your way saying, I cannot possibly believe the promise. But dear friend, could it be that it is only pride lurking in your heart that makes you push away the very promise of God? You see, the very implication you make when you don't trust the promise of God is that somehow you can make ends meet without the promises of God. Or, that somehow the promises would be for you if you could only be a better person than what you are. If you were only more presentable to God, if you were only less sinful, a little cleaner, a little more holy, a little more prayerful, a little more consistent in your desires for God, then you could believe the promise of God, But what are you saying? You are actually saying, if I could only be a little more worthy, somehow the promise would be for me. But friend, the promise is never based on our worthiness. The promise is based on Christ's worthiness. You and I can never be worthy of Christ's grace. Christ's favor. Christ's promise. Worthy is the Lamb. Not worthy is the sinner. He died for the unworthy. He died for the ungodly. He died for the undeserving. He died for children of Adam. Would you like to deepen your understanding of Reformed Theology? Check out Reformed Systematic Theology, Volume 4, Church and Last Things by Dr. Joel Beakey and Paul Smalley. This book will lead you to explore key scripture topics from biblical, doctrinal, experiential, and practical perspectives. Order the culmination of Dr. Beakey's life's work at heritagebooks.org rst4. He died calling you to trust Him, to go to Him as a child of Adam with all your sin and guilt and in dependency upon the Spirit, to throw yourself upon the second Adam, to be saved the way the first Adam was saved, by simple childlike grace through faith. There is no other way to be saved. No other way. Well, we see then what this promise meant for Adam. But what does this promise mean for Eve? Eve, too, had sinned. In fact, she sinned first, didn't she? Eve had turned out to be a bad help meet for her husband. She had interrupted that beautiful harmony of marriage. And she was also involved in the imputation of guilt to mankind, not as a covenant head, but as the one who tempted the covenant head to fall, so that the imputation came upon all men. Certainly, all that Eve could expect now, at very best, was to become the mother of sinners under the sentence of death. She heard her punishment. She's going to bring forth children. In pain and sorrow, her husband's going to rule in an authoritarian manner over her, verse 16 says. So she seems doomed, doesn't she? Just doomed as much as Adam. Doomed to a kind of miserable and painful and condemnable motherhood. But yet she too hears the promise. The seed of the woman shall bruise the seed, the head of the seed of the serpent. Eve also is raised out of the depths of sin and given a place, a high place, in God's plan of redemption personally and for her children, her seed. And now she hears it from the lips of her own husband. Oh, what music that must have been for her. Her husband confirms the embracement of this promise for her. She hears her husband call her a new name, Eve, life, living. Oh, the grace of God for Eve. The woman who took the fruit first receives this great one-sided undeserved grace. And Eve receives her new name by faith. That's the implication here. That she understands something of what God promised in the curse of the serpent. Her silent approbation. And then in chapter 4 verse 1. Her confirmation of this all. Her celebration of this all. By bringing a child into the world and saying his name is Cain. For I have gotten in the Hebrew the man from the Lord. The man. The seed. She thought she was giving birth to the Messiah. Of course she did. She believed the promise. There's no marriage like marriage bound together with the cement of the promise of God in Jesus Christ. Soon Adam and Eve will be expelled from paradise. They will enter a world that will prove to be a veil of tears. The earth will produce thorns and thistles. Adam will be sweating in his work. Eve will experience pain and childbearing. But all these things are salvageable. All these things are... They are are willing to undergo for the sake of the promised seed. Because somehow they don't have clarity yet, but somehow salvation is on the way. Through the seed of the woman, God will set... All things right. God will make the crooked straight. Where sin abounds, grace will much more abound. Now that is not to say that that was always easy for Eve to believe. She believed it strongly in chapter 4 verse 1, didn't she? Then it was easy. She brought forth her firstborn son. She said, I have gotten the man from the Lord. She celebrates. She experiences and rejoices. In the potential fulfillment of the promise of God. As that little boy grew up, can't you see Adam and Eve just looking at that child? Looking for signs of grace. Signs that this child is the Messiah. Great expectation. But they had so much to learn. So much to learn about their own sin. The bitter consequences of sin. Oh, what marital sorrow. What parental strife. What earthly thorns and thistles they had yet to endure. How profoundly they had to learn yet that God's promise runs usually through deep waters. And many times through staggering impossibilities. With man, the promised salvation is impossible. But with God, it is possible and sure. That's what they have to learn. And so they have to become disillusioned. Disillusioned with Cain. As a young boy, they already see their image... The Bible tells us, Genesis 5, in this boy, their depravity, their sinfulness, their selfishness coming out. What a disappointment. By the time their second, they have their second child, Abel, Eve is so discouraged, she calls the boy Abel, which means vanity, transitoriness. It can also mean Emptiness or just a breath. Just a breath. All means the same thing, doesn't it? Eve's faith is at a low ebb. When she has the second child, her expectation due to her disappointment with Cain seems so ripped away from her. Where is thy God? The scoffers say. Where is the promise? Look at Cain. The promise was your seed, but look at that selfish, naughty boy. There's no future for you. You can imagine how Satan made havoc of, of what Eve saw, of the circumstances around her. And then things get even worse. Cain goes out and kills his brother. You know that, boys and girls. And on top of that, he flees from God, flees from his laws, flees from his word, and Adam and Eve lose both of their boys. One is murdered and the other disappears. And there they sit at home again alone. Empty hands. Where's the promise? Oh, through staggering Impossibility. And don't you think there were times when Adam and Eve sat together in their home all alone in those years and said, it's all our own fault. It's what we have brought into the world. Who shall bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Oh parents, if you're God-fearing, you know, you know what this means when you see sin in your own children. And you see your own image in your own children. And you see what you have done to your own children. And what you have passed on to your own children. And yet, don't you think there were times that Adam and Eve said to each other, But what about that promise? Oh, it seems impossible. But di- didn't you hear it, Eve? Yes. Didn't you hear it, Adam? Yes. It was from the very mouth of God. But how can it be fulfilled without a child, with no seed? What a struggle a promise can become. You see that all through the Bible. You see that in the experience of the saints of all ages. Promises often lead through long, dark tunnels of struggle. It was a struggle for Abraham when there was no Isaac. It was a struggle for Isaac when there was no Jacob. They had to wait that's a struggle of all ages. The struggle of the promise itself. The struggle between the two conflicting seeds that we saw last week. But then God comes. God comes when the time seems hopeless. And they have a third baby. And Eve calls this son Seth. And Seth in Hebrew means... Restitution, appointed, appointed as restitution, appointed to return what we have lost. You see, when Eve has this third child, her faith and Adam's faith is revived again, and they see and believe the promise again, and they believe that life will triumph over death again. And their faith is not put to shame. Thank you for listening to Doctrine for Life with Dr. Joel Beaky. If you were encouraged by this episode and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing and sharing with a friend. To enjoy more resources from the pen and pulpit of Dr. Beakey, please visit joelbeaky.org.